my home. And I'm going to give you some of it, and I'm going to let you enjoy it, and I'm going to let you be stewards over it, and I'm going to give you some wonderful gifts, okay? How many of y'all remember when you, if you're parents, the, the first time you held your oldest child? And I hopefully, one of the first things that went through your mind was the obligation that God has given you a gift. By the way, you're going to give an account for how you raised it. Why? Because you're supposed to raise that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You understand? Now, I gave that child to you to raise up and to train up to believe in me and to follow me and to love me. That's your job. Okay? And, and so, if you will, um, we have, if you will, a stewardship to our life. If God gave you a home, you're... That's my home. Yeah, it is. Well, take care of it then. Yeah. Help me now. If you buy a house, how many of y'all think you probably ought to go in aware that you're going to have to mow grass? You all understand? And so he's essentially saying, go with your eyes open and here's what I need you to do. Okay? And so notice what he's, he, he, last week he talked about, if you will, how to worship him and, and, and uh, the appropriate way to do that. Well, then immediately... He says, here's how you treat slaves. Because that's what he teaches in chapter 21. And so he's essentially saying this. You used to be a slave, but now you're going to be a master. Okay? And so you remember how you were treated? And by the way, what was the description the Bible says when, how they were treated in Egypt? That there was a rule. Remember they, had, they were under... Yeah, but what kind of bondage? You remember? It was cruel bondage. Y'all remember that? They, they were whipped and they were tortured and they, if they raised too many male sons, they started to kill them. You all understand that? Well, they're my slaves. I can do anything I want to with them. No, no. You're mine. Their life is mine. Come on now. Every good gift and every perfect gift descended from the Father of lights. So if you have money, whose money is it? It's my money. No, it's not. God could take your money tomorrow because it's his money. You all understand? Well, it's my life. <laughs> it's not. How many of you all realize life is a gift? Amen? Well, these are my children. No, no. Well, that's my slave. I can do anything I want to. No, you can't. Because the whole time you were in Egypt, I watched for you, I cared for you, I, you know, interceded for you. Amen? And I treated you different than you were treated by the Egyptians, and I don't want you learning from them how to treat slaves. Okay? So let's see. There's, I think there's some important things here. Notice what it says in Exodus chapter 21, beginning of verse 1. It says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. Okay? And so he says, Now teach them this too. Okay? If thou buy a Hebrew servant. Okay? Realize one of the biggest criticisms of the Bible is that God believes in slavery. Can I just tell you this? I don't know that he believes in slavery, but he acknowledges that slavery exists. You all understand that? He doesn't say, make them slaves. He never once says that. But he says, if you buy a slave, and, 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 and anybody here ever bought a slave? Yeah, what kind of services do you hire out? 
Hmm? People to work. But usually it's, it's work you don't want to do. I always tell people that as I get older, I, I'm a mechanic, but the older I get, I can tell how I'm aging by the things I'm willing to pay somebody else to do now. <laughs> okay? And the reason is I don't want to do it anymore. Okay? Back in the day, I had to do it. I had no choice. Okay? You, you just do what you can. Well, think about this. When we think about this, we need to realize everybody works for somebody. And everybody has other people working for them. In a sense, when you go to Walmart and somebody's checking you out, they're working for you. I mean, if you don't understand that, well, then go through the self-checkout lane. True? Okay. <laughs> How many of y'all go through the self-checkout? Why do you do it? Huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, when those things first came in, people said, oh, I ain't right. Pay, they ought to pay me to check out my own grocery. No, no, you forgot that the person checking you out was working for you. And Okay, here's how much you owe. Okay, thank you very much. In a sense, they were providing service. And so if you take and you berate them and treat them bad, then you're basically mistreating your slave or your servant. Y'all with me? See, when we use this word slave here, we want to make sure that we're not just thinking about slavery, and, and, and we'll talk about that here. Because what we think of as slavery was never, ever in the mind of God. Ever. And so if you will, again, in verse 1, he says this, he says, uh, verse 2, he says, If thou buy a Hebrew a servant, six years shall he serve. He shall serve, okay? So what was the longest you could serve as a slave? Tells you right there, six years, all right? So six years was the longest that you could serve if you sold yourself or was sold into slavery, Okay. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free. What's the next two words there? He doesn't have to pay anything. He's paid for it with his six years of service. You all see that? The Bible says if he came in by himself, he should go out by himself. That makes sense. Listen, if you sold yourself, then you should go out. Okay? And it says, and if he were married, then his wife shall go out with him, meaning that if he was married when he went into slavery, then he gets to leave with his wife. Okay, but notice what it says here, uh, verse 4, it says, If his master have given him a wife, and she hath borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now, you might think that's unfair, but um, um, he's acknowledging that some people do have these slaves. They, they belong to them, okay? Now, you're going to see that it was more of a, I think it's a little bit hard for us to see this type of society because we don't understand this kind of society. And I'm, I'm going to do the best that I can to explain it. But this was the nature of their economy. This was the nature of their families. Okay. But the Bible says if the master gave him a wife, well, take this the right way, then the wife belonged to the master. All right. And he understood it when he took the wife. Well, that belongs to him. Okay. Uh, by the way, there's some good principles in here about how we ought to think about the things that we own. Ultimately, everything comes from God. You know, we don't, how many of y'all own anything, by the way? Everybody's scared to answer this now. I'll, I'll make a point here in a second, folks. None of us own anything. We're leasing everything. 
You know why? Because eventually we're going to give it to somebody. <laughs> okay, don't really own it. Okay, you know the only one who owned anything was Abraham. Because the Bible says a covenant is only good after the testator dies. Okay, meaning the one who made the covenant or given the covenant, it's only good after he dies. Okay, and so in a sense he was given. But so we do own one thing, everlasting life, and you didn't buy it, somebody else did. Y'all with me? Okay. I'm sorry, I'm free associating here for a second. I want you to notice a couple things. He's talking about Hebrew servant here. He's talking about a man. Now, I'll make a distinction here, but it's important for us to notice words. Notice what he says with a man. He says, if thou buy a Hebrew servant. Y'all see that? Okay. Go down to verse 7. In verse 7, the Bible says, if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant. Okay. And so if you will, it, and by the way, those two words aren't the same. They're two different words there, okay? And so he's saying if you buy a male servant, okay, or if you sell your daughter, okay? We'll talk about those two things, but notice the this, this distinction here. Now let me ask you a question. Why would a person sell himself? Because th this is not a slave market here, okay? If you guys have read any American history, you know that the, the slave traders would come, they would have a market, and they would strip them down. Even in the book of Hosea, that's how that uh, Gomer was sold. She was stripped down, and, the, and they took and, and sold her in the market. And, you know, just how awful, what a terrible, what a terrible picture, if you will. And, uh, and, and if you will, in a sense, he's not really talking about that here, because he says if a Hebrew brother, you're, you're talking about another Jew, another person from the nation of Israel, okay? So why would a person sell himself? Yeah, Jim. Because he clearly can't find a job or provide for himself, so it's one option that's for the natural revival, at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would we call that? By the way, that's in American history. In indentured servitude, meaning this, I need a trade, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for you for six years. You teach me how to X, okay? Uh, I read a book about Ben Franklin. That's how he was trained up. He indentured, or he would have indentured servants, and he would promise, you work for me six years, and you'll leave here a printer. You'll, be, you'll know how to print. You can go make your living after that. And it's, it was their form of college, in a sense, okay? And so, yeah, okay, so I'll grant you that one. What else? Debt, Debt okay, and that, that was the biggest one. If you had an inability to pay, Okay, meaning if you couldn't pay your bills, you could sell yourself into, uh, uh, yeah, as a slave, excuse me, as a slave. And I don't know if that would be to your debtor, or maybe they would say, well, I owe this guy. And he says, well, I'll give you so much money. And he, okay, I agree. And boom, six years, I'll work for you, and you pay off my debt. Okay? Now, I want you to notice that once you became a slave, they couldn't just treat you any way they wanted to. Because God said, listen, the Egyptians could mistreat you, okay? But I don't want you doing that to your servants and to your slaves. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15. And the Bible describes this in more detail here. In verse 1 it says, And at the at the end of every seven years thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Okay? Uh, what he's saying is you can only hold a debt for six years and then you've got to give it back. Okay? 
And uh, he says, of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again. Okay, listen, if, if there's somebody who's not a brother, okay, not a Jewish, you know, not a member of Israel, then no, they, can, they, they need to pay their bills, okay? But that which is thine in the... That which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. Okay? Now you say, well, I, I would never loan money ever again. Well, God addresses that too. Verse 4, the Bible says, uh, it says, Save when there should be no poor among you, for the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. By the way, God ultimately wanted to make it so that there were no poor in the land. And yet, even in this text, he says, the poor will be amongst you always. Okay, why? Because you're never going to get to a point where I can bless you like that. Okay, though I want to. He says, uh, uh, verse 5, he says, Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all these commandments for which I command thee this day. So I will bless you if you keep the commandments. For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow and thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. By the way, um, is the United States a lender nation or a debtor nation? $32 trillion. Last I saw, $32 trillion. That's such a big number, you can't imagine it. You could fill a football stadium with $100 bills, and that's less than a trillion dollars. I'm just saying very hard to understand, okay? It, it just, it, it blows your mind how, how much a trillion dollars is. Uh, but anyhow, uh, the Bible says, uh, if there, uh, verse 7, if there be any, uh, be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates and thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him. By the way, the Bible says in another place, I didn't write it down, but the Bible says, that it's a sin not to give to those who ask of you if you have it to give, okay? So he's talking about people who have the means to relieve people's debts, okay? And if somebody comes and asks you, hey, would you help, okay? I, I think about this. Any of y'all have any debts? Okay, we, we're not going to mention them here. But um, uh, any y'all do business with Amazon? Amazon? Okay, it's the world we live in. Maybe you do business with Amazon occasionally. Um, that man, last I saw, was worth $100 billion plus. Any of y'all ever asked him for a loan? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Uh, Bill Gates said this. He said his goal, his, mission, his business statement was this. He says, I want a computer in every home and every computer running Microsoft software. By the way, has he accomplished that goal? Matter of fact, you can't hardly use a computer today unless you pay him a subscription service to use your own computer. You used to be able to buy your software, and if you wanted to upgrade it, you upgraded it. If you didn't, you didn't. Well, now it's, he sends you a bill. Hey, is that computer in your house running? Anyway, y'all ever ask him for money? Y'all understand my point? You know what God's saying? He says, I really don't need you getting so rich. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make it so that there's no poor people in your land. You're not going to have to loan money to anybody if you'll just do what I say. But some people just can't help themselves, and they just get richer and richer and richer. Folks, 
How many of y'all think you could budget to spend $100 billion? Now, some of you are willing to try. I can see it in your eyes. It's, it's what would you spend it on? You, you know, I'd buy a couple things. And I'm like, I, don't, I don't need anything else. Uh, anyhow, I'm sorry. Ranting. Please forgive me. The Bible says in verse 8, it says, But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Okay? And that doesn't mean he gets all his wants. That means that's what he's falling short on. He needs it met. He says, Beware that thou, uh, that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy uh, poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it, it be a sin. Well, I'm not going to loan him any money. Why? Because he's not going to have to pay me back. He says, Don't you do it. Don't you do it if it's in your hand to do it. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall... But help me now. What are our needs, by the way? What are our needs? The Bible tells us. Food, raiment, and probably one other thing. Shelter. Okay, food, raiment, and shelter. Okay? And so that's what he's talking about. Now, if you need a new car, well... Anybody here ever had to walk to work when all your friends were driving? Everybody has that time in your life. If you don't, it's sad because it kind of builds character. (laughs) Okay. Anyhow, the Bible says, Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that uh, for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works. He says, If you'll just take care of the poor, I'll take care of you. And in all that thou puttest thine hand unto, for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. The Bible says, uh, then he describes, if you will, that uh, what we just talked about. He'll serve you for six years and he'll go out free uh, uh, on the seventh year. But notice how you had to send him out. You couldn't just send him out having paid his bill. Notice what the Bible says next. It says... Uh, uh, verse 13 says, And when thou sendest him out uh, free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. What was his problem when he came to you? He had nothing. But he just worked for you for six years, so you sent him out, okay, with enough to live on. Thou shalt furnish him, what's that word there? Liberally. That doesn't mean you're voting Democrat, folks. What's it mean? Come on, help me. I was, uh, anybody ever been poor? I didn't want to be the only one. Did you ever go out to eat when you were poor? Well, (laughs) praise the Lord, you're better than me. (laughs) And I would tell you this, there were times where you would go out and you'd say, well, man, I can't afford a tip, right? Help me now, is that person working for you, the person that you're supposed to tip? Is it their fault that you're poor? The answer to that is no. And so the whole point is this, is uh, uh, if it's expected to tip, thank you for your service, okay, then the Bible says don't tip them a penny. Well, there wasn't enough ice in my iced tea. There's a penny I'll show them, okay. What's the Bible say? You're supposed to tip, you're supposed to liberally, okay, 
how much are we supposed to tip? Now, when we all grew up, how much were you supposed to tip 20 years ago? 10%. And that's still, uh, have you noticed, they don't even offer 10% on the automatic tip anymore. <laughs> it starts at 15, 20 is expected. And uh, then if you want to be generous, you can give more than that. But my whole point is this, is uh, I heard a preacher one time, he says, if, if you go out to eat with your family and you don't have enough money to tip the waitress, you don't have enough money to go out to eat. He said, that's your testimony. That convicted me. I was like, he's absolutely right. If you don't, if you don't have it. So I, I try to tip well now. And uh, even if it's bad service, you know, leave a good tip and leave a track. Okay. Um, uh, uh, it's your testimony. And that's what he's saying here. He says, that's your testimony as a master. When they leave, don't just let them leave as poor as when they came. Let them leave and you be liberal with them. Be generous with them. Yeah? You know, to ensure promptness. Prompt yeah. I understand. I'm just saying. It's our, it is... And it's it. Well, my point is, don't leave a penny. Don't leave a penny. If you want to, if you want to leave them nothing, I understand they didn't earn their money. Okay. But I would say this. That's what he's saying from the Bible. He says, when they have served you, treat them liberally. Okay. Why? Because hopefully they've served you well. The Bible says this. It says, uh, uh, verse uh, fourteen. It says, I shall furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy wine press. And of whatever the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. See what the Bible says? It said, don't just, and that's beyond tipping. That's, make sure you've got enough to live on. By the way, that's a big difference. I'm just trying to make an application. That's a big difference between going for a meal. This guy's served you for six years. You all understand that? Okay. And so, if you will, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. You know what it is to me? Um... You know, I got a little bit more money now than I had when I was in seminary. And, uh, and so, if you will, I remember when I was broke. I remember being at a gas pump. Somebody walked up to me one time, and, and they just looked at me, and they said, here's 20 bucks. And basically, they were saying, it looks like you could use that. <laughs> I'm going to let you in a little secret. They were right. <laughs> and they handed me 20 bucks, and I Man, thank you so much. Just remember there was a time when you were in need so, to take care. And so if you will, uh, go back to our text. Go back to Exodus chapter 21. And we see here, the reason a man would sell himself because he's in debt. And so God says, make him work for you for six years. At the end of the six years, when they leave you, make sure that they can support themselves. By the way, part of that time, you should have given them a work ethic. You should have given them some training maybe. Now you give them a little, a little uh, what's the word I'm I, I, I got a bad, I, I got a bad word. I don't know what it is. What's the? I don't want to use this slang word because I don't know if it's a bad word or not. <laughs> um, you know, you got a little, uh, little coin in your pocket. Well, not incentive, but I mean, steak. So that's a good word. They got a little stake. Meaning this, they don't have to walk out and immediately go, where am, where am I going to get money to do this or that? No, no, you've, you've let them leave to go and they can make their life, okay? Well, why? Well, God's saying, that's what I did for you, okay? 
By the way, that was the form of indentured servitude. I'll serve you for six years. You give me a trade. Give me a little, give me a little business startup money. That's, that's another word for it. Give it a little business startup money. Okay. And uh, now foreigners could be enslaved in like times of war. And you're not bound by those regulations by those people, okay, foreigners, okay, in the sense that uh, God was addressing that. I don't know if you know this, but quite often armies, when you conquered an army, you would either take them into slavery or you would take and sell them as slaves and take the money, okay. And so losing a war, that was a good way to go into slavery. Um, But God wanted them to be treated ethically also. Even a foreigner, okay, even somebody who, quote, doesn't deserve it. God says, I still don't want you mistreating them, okay? Look what he says in Leviticus chapter 19. Look at verse 33, Leviticus 19. Excuse me. Leviticus 19, verse 33 The Bible says this, it says, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you uh, shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then notice what he says, just to give emphasis, he says, I am the Lord your God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, treat people right, okay? Even if you have power over them, even if you have authority over them, now, what, I mean, what, is, what do people want out of life just as basic? I mean, think about what's basic everybody deserves to have. Courtesy? Respect? Right? By the way, you don't have to respect what they do. Okay, but you can respect their time. You can respect their person. You can look them in the eyes. You can show them respect. Okay, you all understand that? And so, if you will, God is saying this. He says, remember that you were in a foreign land, and you wish you would have been treated right. In this land here, we're going to treat foreigners right. Okay? Amen? And so, if you will. And so, uh, if you were sold into slavery, it was uh, usually because of debt. It could also be because of restitution. Anybody remember what you had to pay if you stole a sheep? You had to pay five sheep. Well, if you didn't have one sheep, where are you going to come up with five? Okay, <laughs> all right, just so you can see that. Uh, go with me, if you will, to, uh, uh, well, go to Proverbs chapter 6. That'll show it to you. It actually is, uh, says it more in Proverbs. But in Proverbs chapter 6, look at verse 30. The Bible says, Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. That's restitution, okay? He says, he shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso, oh, no, excuse me, you see that? And so the Bible teaches us, if you will, that there it says sevenfold. Well, go back to our text and look at chapter 22, though. Look at Exodus chapter 22. And it addresses that right there in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep... And kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Excuse me, I got that backwards there. Four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up 
and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood shed for him. If the son be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. You all see that? So the Bible says that if you're a thief and you can't pay back the restitution for what you stole, then you go into slavery. Okay. And then the other thing, you could be uh, born a slave. Uh, in Exodus chapter 21, look at verse 4 again. And in verse 4, the Bible says this. It says, If a master have given him a wife and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters. Okay, so you see that? So there's a lot of ways that a person could get, end up in slavery from debt, uh, restitution from crime, and if they're born a slave. Okay? Or you can be a bond slave. Now look what it says in verse 5 here. The Bible says this, it says, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Notice here, what was his motivation to stay? Yeah, love. But notice a love of what? Yeah. Remember his master gave him a wife, and then he had children. And he's saying this, he said, I can go out free. Yeah, but the wife and the children belong to the master. Okay? And so if you will... He could come up and say, well, I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love my master, okay? And so, if you will, it's a bond of love. And they would take, and the servant would take and put his ear on the doorpost, okay? And the Bible said they would strike an awl through his ear, okay? Uh, They'd probably wear an earring, all right? And uh, actually, they'd wear that with pride. I belong to my master. Who's your master? So-and-so. Oh, he's a good man. Okay, it would actually be a mark of pride. I don't know if you know this, but even in the Roman Empire, slaves had a very high position in society, especially if they were associated with the right master. Okay, any of y'all got a good master? See, our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is our, the word Lord means master. Y'all understand that? And so, if you will, when we serve him, we're saying, I'm not doing it because I have to, I'm doing it because I love him. We love him because he first loved us. And so, why in the world would you want to make yourself a slave? Well, it's because you love your master. I want you to think about this, and this is just a minor thought. Do you think they left anything on that doorpost when they struck the awl through their ear? Maybe a little blood. And remember how they left Egypt? They put blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And just, just a thought there. I don't know if you want to take it too far, but the whole point... A whole point there. It was a bond of love. You were being bound to the house, okay, and you will, if you, if you will. And, uh, and, uh, and so slavery would have been a godly institution if it was practiced this way, okay? It could have been and it would have been. And to be quite honest with you, we're fooling ourselves if we think that we don't have slavery today. We do. It's just, you know, it, it takes a different form and a different vocabulary, Okay. But here's what I want you to see. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 21. Can I ask you, uh, uh, go down to verse 26, I'm sorry. Verse 26 is where we're going. Can I ask you a question? When I say slavery, what do you all think of? Let's be honest. What do you all think of when you think of slavery? I'm sorry? Nooses. Nooses. Wow. Yeah, and what were Nooses' purpose? To put fear in the slave, not to run. Yeah. I, I saw a picture one time. It was, a, it was a picture from the Civil War, and they, 
they had a slave that they, they took a picture of his back. And he had the, you know, the risen scars, the big ones. His whole back had, was just all, well, why, why did they whip him? Well, you displeased me. <laughs> Any of y'all think that might have hurt? Um, you realize that, you know, sometimes in service, people do get hurt. We, we had somebody working at the church one time, or we had, excuse me, we had a, a church member who was doing work for another church member, and uh, he got hurt on the job. And, and the, the church member said, you have to sue me or else my uh, insurance won't pay you. Okay, and so he, he invited him. You know, the Bible says don't sue a brother. He said, this is the only way you're going to get paid. You have to sue me. Okay, so it was all done in good spirit. Um, and so uh, uh, slavery didn't like that. You're going to do what I say. You're not going to run. You're bound to this house forever. And your children, I own you. And you guys remember there was a thing called the fugitive slave laws, meaning that if they found a slave in another state, you were bound by law to return the slave back to his master, okay? Can I just say this? God never one time had that in his mind as to that's what slavery is. Never one time, okay? So is God against that kind of slavery? Yeah, but notice what he said just in case you're not clear on that. Verse 26, the Bible says, and if a man smite the eye of his servant, okay, and the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. Meaning if you do damage to that person in working them, they go out free. Notice what it says next. It says, if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. Amen. If I remember right, wasn't there something about they would remove a tooth of a slave uh, for identification or stuff like that. It's, anyhow, God says, God says this, you mistreat that slave, they go free. You mistreat that slave, you damage them, you hurt them. It, that, that sounds accidental, I hope. Okay, Even by accident, you hurt them, they go out free. And so if you will... All the way that they had been treated as a slave, they could have said, man, when we're masters, we're going to do the same thing. And God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Why? Because that's my land, you're my people, and you're going to do it my way. Amen? Yeah. I don't, I honestly, I don't, I don't understand how somebody could treat their slaves the way that some people did. And it's just a superior... We're not being recorded, I'll tell you on this. Folks, some, you know how some people, and I'll be done with this, we'll be done. You know how some people got their mind around it? If you read the history of the Southern Baptist Church, folks, the reason the Southern Baptists split was over slavery, okay? And the Northern Baptists didn't want to keep the slaves, and the Southern Baptists did want to keep the slaves. And folks, it was churches that had a part in maintaining the institution. Anybody know the mark of Cain? Can I tell you this? Nobody knows what the mark of Cain is. You're guessing at best. You know why it happened before the flood and God never told us what it was? Amen. But you know what some people say the mark of Cain is? Well, the mark of Cain is the mark of Ham, which is black skin, and so God... 
hates those people. As a matter of fact, they're born without souls. And lest you think I'm not telling you the truth, get yourself a history book on slavery and, and the church. And they literally taught that black people didn't have souls, so you can treat them like the animals that they are. I don't know if you have a Southern Baptist background, but I imagine most Southern Baptists don't even know that's part of their background, but it's true. Okay? I, I get exercised about that because I cannot imagine treating a human being like that. And the only way they could do it is some preacher went to a pulpit and said they don't even have souls. Treat them like the animals that they are. And folks, that was a popular doctrine as recently as 20 years ago in Utah when uh, some of that, the people up there, the people who took their guns and their food and hid away, a lot of them believed that type of theology. I'm sorry. Um, I, I want to tell you more, but I don't want to put it out over the internet. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We just pray that you'd help us to understand. Father, we... Pray that you would help us to know your heart here. And Father, we love you. We thank you for making us free.
513. And if you can, let's all stand. 513. Great. 
Brandon Clark, if you would, open us in prayer, please. <coughs> Amen. Please do be seated. Well, I am glad people are here today. I mean, 15 minutes before our church was to start, it was pretty empty in here. But uh, I knew people would be getting and getting water to the animals. And my Dodge pickup's a fairly new truck, at least it is to me. And it went, I mean, it did not want to start. So anyhow, finally got it going. Praise the Lord for that. Um, do be in prayer for those who are, can't be here. I know a lot of our older folks, just because of the extreme cold, didn't get out. So let's keep them in our prayers. I don't know how many of y'all know this, but some of the older folks, when it gets cold and the winds and the, and the weather's moving through, it, it causes them a lot of pain. So please do remember to keep them in your prayers, if you would. Um, we have a sign-up list in the back back there for the marriage conference. You need to be signed up by next Sunday. Okay, If you're going to go, please do sign up. And uh, we'll get that taken care of. And, uh, and so uh, uh, if anybody, like, suspects somebody wants to go and they're not on there yet, maybe remind me and I'll, I'll call them or ask them just to, to make sure if they're not here today. But if you can, get that signed up and we'll get that taken care of. And, uh, and then there's also a list up there for meals for the Taylor family when he comes for revival. If you'd like to host that family. They're a family of six, wonderful family. You're going to love them. And, uh, and so if you'd like to host them maybe for a meal or something like that, please do uh, sign up, but let Mindy know if you will, okay? Yeah, good point. We could take them food if we wanted to or make a casserole or, or you know, desserts and stuff like that. And uh, just because they're a family of six, it was it was easier to get an Airbnb for them, so about as cheap. So, so anyhow, please do uh, uh, be in prayer about that preparation for that. We're going to receive our evening. Excuse me. Let's get our morning tithes and offerings this, this time. I, I the reason I thought that is uh, tonight's evening service is going to happen, uh, Lord willing. Uh, we're supposed to have snow. I always say one to three inches, but to me in Missouri, that means we're going to get a trace. <laughs> and so we'll see what happens. But Lord willing, we will be having services tonight. Brother Wade, if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, so grateful to be in your house tonight, Lord, in your word, Lord. Lord, we just pray for all those who couldn't make it this morning, Lord. We just pray that you'd be with them, Lord. Lord, we just pray for Pastor and give him the words he needs, Lord, to teach your word to his parents. Lord, we just ask that you bless this offering we're about to receive. Lord, and do as you will with it, Lord. And Lord, we just pray for this country, Lord, and our leaders, and continue to pray for them, Lord. We just love you with all of our hearts and grateful for everything you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
We're going to sing number 427. 427. Let me say that again, 427. There we go. you to turn with me this morning to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I use this illustration, but there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that are, I call them landmark chapters. And the reason I say that is it's easy if you know where something is and you sometimes know where it's around and you can think, and, and you know where to go in your Bible, and it's there. And this is a, a landmark chapter in the Bible, because John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. But the feeding of the 5,000 is a significant uh, portion of Scripture, because uh, 
Uh, it's in all four Gospels, okay? Anytime it's in all four Gospels, God is trying to make a point. You got to remember that, uh, if you will, each Gospel communicates the person of Jesus Christ in a different way, and so sometimes there's a reason to show different details. Uh, I will promise you this, that you have to read all four accounts to get every detail in here. And uh, uh, it's kind of like, uh, if you've ever studied, like, Resurrection Morning, I promise you, if you don't read all four of the Gospels, then you're not going to have a complete picture of uh, what took place on that morning, okay? And so in John chapter 6, every one of the four different accounts has a different reason for presenting it, okay? And in a sense, I believe, after preparing this, that the reason that Jesus uh, put uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, the reason they put it in there was Jesus was testing their faith, okay? He was testing their faith. And the reason was, and we'll see here, is that he's given them plenty for them to know, and now he's saying, okay, now what are you going to do with it? What do you believe about it? Okay, and so he's testing their faith. So in John chapter 6, uh, we could read the whole chapter. I'm hoping that you're a little bit uh, familiar with it, but let's look at it just real quick. In verse 1, the Bible says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain and there sat with his disciples. And, and the Passover feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So if you will, there you go. Jesus is testing their faith. And so he starts off with Philip, but then you see quite a few people in the rest of the text uh, to whom he tests, okay? But in verse 7, the Bible says, Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about uh, 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed unto the disciples, and the disciples to them uh, that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Uh, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Then those men, uh, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And then that's when the contest begins. He begins to tell them that he is the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, he tries to get away from them overnight because they want to come make him a king, king that can give them bread, if you will. And uh, that's when Jesus walks on the water. You remember that there's a storm, and uh, uh, he didn't go with them to the other side. He told them to go to the other side. And uh, there's a storm. Jesus walks as if he passed by. Peter said, if that be you, Lord, bid me to come unto thee. And he says, come. And, uh, and so Peter walked on the water till he saw the waves, and he sank. And uh, so, if you will, he's, he's, he's having a test, if you will. And then they get on the other side, and he begins to tell them that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. And they said, this is, this is hard for us to understand. And uh, he said, you know, in a sense, I hope I'm not offending you. 
And uh, they, they basically said this, we're not going to follow you anymore because of that, okay? Can you see how a number of tests are taking place? And if you will, so we're going to talk about Jesus testing their faith. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for the privilege to sing your songs, sing your praises. We thank you for the health and uh, the safety that we enjoy to be here. But Father, do uh, just help us to put aside the cares of this world for a time. Speak to us from your word and let your will be done in every heart. We ask this all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, the context of this portion of scripture, according to the book of Matthew, teaches us that this was shortly after John had been executed. John the Baptist has just been executed, if you will. And you remember, the whole purpose behind John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus, if you will, with his execution. Jesus is firmly established, and uh, he has followers, he has a message. The Bible says in, in one of the other accounts that he was taking this time to do miracles and to preach of the kingdom, okay? And so, if you will, uh, he was doing many miracles, healing the sick, and, and people were hearing about it. That's why there was such a big crowd. And, uh, and, and so, if you will, it was right after he was executed. This was supposed to be a time of rest. In John chapter 6 and verse 30, you don't have to turn there, but in 30 and verse 31, he says, uh, basically, they, they have been uh, teaching and preaching and working all day. They've been working to a great multitude or a great company, the Bible says. And uh, Jesus says this, boy, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're tired. Let's go and let's go rest. The only problem is the crowd followed him, and so they had to do more preaching and more miracles. And you can imagine, uh, if, if you will. And, and the Bible says that it was in Bethsaida here, a desert place. The Bible says there was a mountain there and there was grass, but I don't believe it was green grass. I believe it was kind of, you know, if you will, <laughs> desert grass, if you will. And, uh, and so that's where they were. And so Jesus is going to take now, and he's going to take and test their faith. Now, I want you to know this. Every person in the world eventually is going to fa uh, face a test. And ultimately, the question is going to be this. What do you think of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? I think I told some of you all the other day, I, I uh, had some Mormon missionaries at my door the other day, and I, I just didn't have time to deal with them. And, and so I, I just tried to hit them with that little nugget. You need to determine who Jesus is. And, and so my point was this, Jesus has always been God. You believe that he became God. There is a huge difference between that, and I encourage them to go back and to see that. Why? Because you're going to have to answer who Jesus is. And you're not going to have to do it without lack of evidence. Because in this portion of Scripture, that's exactly what he's been doing here. The Bible tells us in, in verse 2 that they came, this great multitude came because they heard of his miracles. That they had heard of what, in, in the context here, is what he had done in Jerusalem and, and now what he's been doing as they've been going and teaching and preaching. And if you will, if you had somebody back in that day that was sick or infirmed and the doctors couldn't do anything, how many of y'all think you'd have, you'd have flocked out there to, to, to find Jesus? Amen? And so a great company, they're, they're hearing about the miracles and, and ultimately they would hear about the food. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until in a sense he run them off. <laughs> Meaning this, you better determine who, who, who you think I am, okay? I'm not here to be a king and a bread giver. I'm, I'm God the Son. I'm the Messiah, amen, and, and if you will. And so they came because they heard of his miracles. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says they had seen him heal the sick. And so if you will, they had been firsthand witnesses of those miracles, all right? So not only did they hear about the miracles, but they had seen the miracles that he did. And I want you to think about this. I told you that he walked on water. Didn't you not? Y'all believe he walked on water? Uh, Y'all believe Peter walked on water? 
Any of y'all think you got enough faith to do what Peter did? And yet, what do we do with Peter? We condemn him for his lack of faith, and yet he's got more faith than probably anybody in this room. Amen. If you think about this, folks, do you realize that the company of people following him knew it was possible he walked on water? How, how do I know that? Go, if you will, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 22. The Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So if you will, the crowd's here. His 12 disciples are here. They can hear him. They can see him saying, go to the other side before me. Okay? Now, they are watching Jesus' every move. All right? And they saw his disciples get in a boat and go to the other side. Okay? Now, I, I don't know exact geography here, but I got to imagine that it's a lot faster to get from one side of the lake by boat than it is walking around. Y'all with me? And, and, and so, if you will, uh, they, they knew that because uh, they, they're, they're the ones that bring this up. So, again, in verse uh, 23 now, the Bible says, And when he sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain part to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and with the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. By the way, the fourth watch of the night, that's right before the first watch of the day. I mean, it's getting ready to go from night to day, okay? And uh, uh, the Bible says the waves were contrary. By the way, what were most of those people in that boat by profession? Fishermen. These are people, if you will, who know this sea. And, uh, boy, they're scared. They're scared, okay? And the Bible says, uh, verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Y'all think you'd have been in trouble if you saw somebody walking on the sea? <laughs> Amen. The Bible says, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I'm sorry, Peter gets a bum rap. I don't know about you. I don't know if I could take that first step on that water. But you know what? Jesus said, come. If you are who you say you are, bid me to come out there too. He says, well, then come because I'm exactly who I say I am. By the way, get a hold of that. I am exactly who I say I am. Okay? Then you can come. The Bible says, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of, what's what I say? Uh, help me for a second here. Is that a condemnation? Well, let's put it in context. The Bible says if you have grain, faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say into this mountain, depart hence, and it would go. Amen? It takes a little bit of faith, but I'll tell you what, a little bit of faith takes you a long way. Amen. The Bible says, wherefore still thou doubt? He, he took and he criticized and said, why did you doubt me? He says, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And when they were in the ship, uh, came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. 
And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent into all the country round about, and they brought unto him and dressed him. Uh, if you will, they, they started asking him for miracles again. Okay, and that's what the Bible says. Now. Folks, the disciples saw it. And the multitudes knew something miraculous had happened. Go back to our text, okay? Go back to John 6. Okay? The multitude knew something had happened. Okay? In John chapter 6, look at verse 22. The Bible says, In the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereinto his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples were uh, gone away alone howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks and when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there neither his disciples they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus how did you get here Jesus the Bible says this, it says, uh, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? Folks, do you all see what they're saying? We saw the disciples get in the boat. <laughs> We've been watching you all night, and we never saw you get in the boat. How did you get here? Folks, please take this the right way. They could have suspected something miraculous happened. Amen. They might not have known about walking on the water, but they knew that he got to the other side of that lake without a boat. Amen. Folks, I'm just telling you. So think about this. They, they had heard about his miracles. They had seen him heal the sick. They, they knew something wasn't right, if you will, that he had walked on the water. And then they saw him feed a great multitude in a desert place. Literally, a desert place, in other ways, a wilderness. There's no food there, amen? And, and they said, go into town, and we can't buy enough food for all these people. How are we going to feed all these people? Uh, help me now. What was the lunch there that the little boy had? Talk to me. Five loaves and two fishes, okay? And so I don't know what these loaves are. Let's just assume they're like this, okay? There's five loaves and two fishes. And the Bible says that somehow Jesus prayed over it, and then he handed it out to the disciples, and they just kept handing, and they just kept handing, kept handing. And the only way I can figure is every time they reached into whatever vessel he gave to them, it was like the woman with the meal. Just every day they went, hey, there's more meal. We took the last out of it yesterday. Well, there's more there today. Come on now, amen? And that's the only way I can figure they did it. And, and they just said, here's some, and here's some, and here's some. And they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to eat to the full. Now, I, I heard this preached one time. What they turned back in was whole loaves of bread. That's not what the text says. The text says that they returned the scraps. You know what that means to me? That means uh, that they took and they ate until they were full. Can I ask you a question? How many of y'all were raised to clean your plate? Me too. And I suspect that they were raised that way. Aren't you? Aren't you? So think about this, and I'm picking on Reese because you're sitting there. I appreciate it. And, and I come up with my five loaves and two fish, and I said, you want some more? And, of course, he's like, well, yeah, he's a teen boy, right? <laughs> and, and then just, oh, 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 is that enough? No, no, more. Oh, 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 oh. Come on. So much so he's, he's eating it. He's like, I can't eat anymore. Come on. Is that what the text says? And then 
he says, well, we want the scraps back. Now, if you're a teenage boy, let me ask you a question. Here, have you ever thrown away one piece of pizza? <laughs> Come on. Eat till you're full. Eat till you're full. What kind of blessings has God's promised us to our lives? Are pressed down, overflowing. Come on now. If you will, you want some more? You want some more? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then finally, I can't eat anymore. He says, well, then give me what's left back. So much so that all 12 apostles come back carrying a basket. And folks, think about this. They started with a lunch. Now, I don't know if they had brown bags back then. Y'all with me? But don't you know that a lunch comes in a sack and they're carrying baskets? How big the basket was, I couldn't find it. It didn't say. Okay? The, the word doesn't say. It just means basket. Okay? And so if you will, uh, and so if they're carrying these baskets and every one of the apostles is going, I, I'll, I'll cover this here in a second. Who did he test to say, where could we go buy bread? Philip, but in every other text, it says he asked them. He didn't just ask Philip. He just happens to point out Philip in the book of John. But it's, it's the same way a lot of times like that. Peter will be speaking, but the Bible says, so said they all. Okay? And so, if you will, uh, they came. And he says, where are we going to uh, find bread to feed all these people? It's 200 penny. Where do we go into town, spend all the money we have? We can't feed the front row. Amen? And so, at the end of that mocking response, God says, why don't you carry those baskets back? Because he said, how are you going to feed them? You know what they could have said? They could have said, we don't know, Lord. How are you going to do it? But they didn't do that, did they? They were all about, how am I going to do that? Can I just tell you this? It might be a good principle for us to pick up sometimes. When God challenges us with a major challenge in our lives, rather than saying, how in the world am I going to do that? You can take it and you can go to your Lord and say, Lord, how are we going to do this? Amen. Do we have the same God today, yesterday, and forever? And if you will, we see, if you will, that they had heard about the miracles. They had seen him heal people. They, they knew that he probably had walked on water or something to get to the other side. They, 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 they fed a great multitude in a desert place. And folks, I want you to think about this. God gives all of us enough of a witness about who he is to make a good decision. There's never going to be a person on earth who's going to say, well, God, if you'd have just revealed yourself to me, come on. If you'd have just told me more, amen. I use this all the time, so I don't want to go into it too much. But the Bible tells us, if you will, Romans chapter 1, that creation and scripture and the Holy Spirit, if you will, speak to us and show to us that there is a God. The only problem is we live in an unbelieving world. And just, if you will, humor me, go back there again, would you? Would you go to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1, look at verse 19. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest. Say the next two words, please. 
So the Bible says everything that can be known about God, or certainly the fact that God exists, is manifested in them. Amen. You say, well, how does God do that? Well, we look at Psalms all the time. He does it through his creation and through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible says, for God hath showed it unto them. Meaning in the past tense, he hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Amen. How did all this come about? God spoke it into existence. No, no, no. It blew up and it just happened. You go blow something up and see if something happens. You don't blow things up to make things come together. Amen. And yet all of this came together. You've got to say, and by the way, got to be powerful enough to do it. Does anybody know how they send uh, rockets into space? What the fuel is? Anybody know what the fuel is? It's liquid. Did you say rocket? <laughs> you may know what the fuel is. It's water. You're a liar, Pastor. Well, I'm not. Excuse me? They take hydrogen? Is that true? I think so. A little bit. And then they put a little oxygen with it? And they give it a spark? You guys ever seen the sparks at the bottom? Come on. The vapor trails water, folks. Okay. What's my whole point? Um, just for fun, you go and mix hydrogen and oxygen together and see what happens. It takes a little bit of power and a little bit of understanding to put those things together. And folks, one of the most powerful reactions there is is just making water. Well, this all just happened. Are you out of your mind? Amen. And folks, those are just two easy things to explain. Easy things to explain. <clears throat> is this solid or is it space? It's what? Wrong. This is mostly space. Now, I'm not trying to be technical, but we got a young man here shaking my head, his head, so I'm right. By the way, it's not even close to solid. It is by far mostly space. Okay? By far. Okay? And you say, well, it looks solid to me. Yeah, it does, but dig into it a little bit, and you're going to see. I'm sorry. I'm nerding out here. The nucleus, the electron. By the nucleus is like this, and the electron's way over here. And now help me here. Help me. What is between that nucleus and that electron? Thank you. <laughs> Y'all with me? And you look at that and you say, wow, how did that happen? It didn't just happen. There's a God who spoke it into existence. Praise God. The Bible says that they could know God. But in verse 21, look what it says. Some of the saddest words on earth. Because that when they knew God, who's he talking about? Everybody. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Any of y'all thankful for this space-filled thing? I am. You'd have to look at my whole body if it wasn't here. Amen. Y'all with me? But became vain, empty, in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Folks, 
get a hold of this for a second. They had seen Jesus, they had heard Jesus was healing people. They had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen somehow he got from one side of a lake to another in time that can only be accounted for. Somehow he went straight. He didn't go like this. He, you all with me? And, 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 and now he just fed them a meal from a little boy's lunch and collected up more food than he started with. And they went, man, he is one amazing carpenter's son. Y'all are smiling because that's kind of a stupid response, isn't it? The whole point is this. What kind of man can do that? Well, I want you to know I'm not just man, I'm God. Amen? My whole point is this. is Folks, they had ample evidence to make a decision about who Jesus was. But can you see what their response was? Go to John chapter 6 again. Look at verse 28. John chapter 6, look at verse 28. And the Bible says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Because now they're getting in a theological debate, okay? He's saying, if you knew who I was, you'd believe in me, and because I, you know, I did these miracles and blah, blah, okay? And so they come down and they say, well, what should we do about it? Okay, all right. So God gives an answer, amen? In verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Wow. Well, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they went down and baptized him. No. This is what they said. Verse 30. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then? I'm sorry. Have you all been with me so far? What a stupid response. What, what sign am I going to show you? Did you hear about the people I healed? Did you see that one that I healed? Did you see how I got across the lake and everybody else was in a boat and I wasn't? Come on. Did you see how I started with the little boys? Come on now, amen? What signs showest thou then? Our fathers had manna in the wilderness. They just had a meal of fish and bread in the desert. Having eyes to see, they... See not. Amen? Kind of like a kid you give a chore to and they just have to pick up the tool to do the work, but they can't find the tool. <laughs> right? By the way, does that look kind of stupid? That's what they're doing. I showed you who I am. I've made it abundantly clear what your response should be. And here's all you need to do to do the works of God. And he didn't name one commandment. Amen. He said this, believe on him whom he has sent. You know what their response was? This is the carpenter's son. Well, how many carpenter's sons do you know can take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 plus people and have more leftovers than he started with? Come on. Jesus demonstrated very clearly who he was. And then he basically asked him a question. I think everybody's going to be asked a question someday. Because a question needs to be answered, okay? 
Well, think about all the questions that were in our text here. In verse 5, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Why did he ask that question? I'll, I'll, I'll refer you to, again, to the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? He didn't ask Adam where he was so that God would know where he was. He asked him, he's saying this, where are we going to buy bread? And they knew the answer. We're not going to buy bread. That was the answer. So if we're going to feed these people, something's going to have to happen. We're either going to have to send them home hungry. By the way, and he had mercy on them. He had compassion on them. And they were too tired. They were too fatigued. They didn't have the ability to make it home. And he says, feed them here. You can do it. Well, then how are we going to do it? Well, God, I only know this. I can't do it, but I know you can. Amen. If you will, they were asking that question. When shall we buy bread? Notice the other question that Jesus asks. Look at verse 67. This is a sad one. John chapter 6 and verse 67. It says, uh, verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. If you don't receive me, you can't have life. What kind of life was he offering? Everlasting life. Amen. And then in verse 67, he looked to the 12, the Bible says, and Jesus said unto the 12, will you also go away? It's a good question. Everybody else is leaving. Isn't it amazing that Jesus could get the crowd that everybody thinks that you need? I'm, I've got to be honest with you, I'm a little concerned sometimes in church growth. I think we ought to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I think we ought to get them saved. I think we ought to get them baptized. I think we ought to get them in church, get them trained up. And I think we ought to duplicate the process. Amen. But please take this the right way. It's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. If you want to walk with the crowd, you're going to be walking with somebody else. Why? Because the crowd left. The crowd left. God says it's going to be the few that follow him. And so he took and he looked at the 12 and he said this. He said, I know one of you is a devil. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus at the, at the Last Supper, he looks around the table and he says this. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Tonight. Amen. And the Bible says they all looked around at themselves. And they, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? You know the one who didn't ask? <laughs> I want you to think about this. Look what it says in verse 64. John 6 and verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. Can I say this to you right now? In a, in a group this big and maybe, you know, there's a number of people watching on the internet even today. In a group this big, I got to look at it again. But there are some of you that, say it with me, and you know who you are. And maybe sometimes you sit up just a little straighter in your chair, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. And by the way, me looking at you isn't going to change a thing. But if God just sent a jolt through you, there's some of you here that don't believe. He's looking at the 12. And he says, there's some of you here that don't believe. He's looking at one of them. 
By the way, don't you know, now you're sitting here, so you get to be Judas, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't you know he could have went, there's some of you here. Amen? Any of y'all remember being under conviction and it felt like the preacher was preaching at you? Amen? It's an awful experience, but it's also a wonderful experience. Because Jesus, in a sense, is saying this, Philip, you don't know how I'm going to do this yet, but I want to see if you're going to pass the test. How are we going to feed these people? And it wouldn't have been good if he just said, I don't know, Lord, how are we going to do it? Amen? Okay, and I think he learned that lesson going forward. Amen? But if, if God says this to you, there's some of you here that don't believe. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You sit up straight. You don't move, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's when the teacher wants somebody to come to the board and show everybody how they did their math. <laughs> By the way, that's the one I pick every time. <laughs> there's some of you that don't believe. Do you know who that is? Amen. Look at verse 70. In verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? <laughs> Just in case he wasn't clear in verse 64. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Folks, those are the questions. Those are the questions. I was thinking about this, and I don't know if it relates. I, I think it relates a little bit. But you remember when Jesus was tempted? He was asked three questions in a sense, right? If you're hungry, can you make bread? Well, folks, he just went to a wilderness place and fed 5,000 people. He could have fed himself. You know why? Because he fed them. Amen. Can you remain unharmed? Meaning what? Can you jump off this... The, the, the top of the temple, and before you hit the ground, the angels will carry you. And, and, and God knew that was true, but he says that they should not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen. But you know what he did just to prove it? He said, well, I can walk on water. In the midst of a storm, not be harmed. Y'all with me? I think there's something to that there. It's all in this text. So can you provide bread? Can you remain unharmed? And who is right to worship? Meaning what? You know, Jesus calls them to believe and confess on him. Go again to verse 28. What, what may we do that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, believe on him whom he has sent. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe on him whom he has sent. Look at verse 34 in John 6. In verse 34, the Bible says, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. We want bread that leads to everlasting life. And then he says, I am that bread. Amen? Wow, they, they were starting to get the answer right. And they said, no, you can't, you can't, you can't be that bread that came down from heaven because you're, you're just Joseph's son. That's what it says. Amen? By the way, is Jesus Joseph's son? No. Whose son is he? He's the son of God. And please take this right. The Bible says in the book of Romans that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall. And you know what they're going to confess? 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Is that what the Ethiopian eunuch confessed? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I was studying with a, another person this last week, and I asked him the question I ask everybody. If you, if you want to do a Bible study, one of the questions I'll ask you is, is was Balaam a lost man or a saved man? Okay, and they, they had studied through there, okay? And you know, one of the things that Balaam said, because I, I believe he, he certainly ended like a lost man, okay? But you know one thing he did say? He said, the Lord my God. Help me now. The Lord my God. Now please take this the right way. When God gives you salvation, he gives you everlasting. Can you ever lose it? Not even in the Old Testament, folks. I just gave that to them to think about. I give that to you to think about. You say, well, Judas lost his salvation. Judas was never saved. He said it right there. He says, there's one of you who doesn't believe in me. Meaning what? You will not confess who I am. Who are you? I'm the Son of God. Which taketh away the what? Sin of the world. There's any number of ways of communicating that. But take this right way. In Isaiah, uh, let's go there. I've, I've got time. Go to Isaiah. Just go real quick. Go to verse four, uh, chapter 45. This is a longer version of that same verse. Isaiah chapter 45, look at verse 22. And the Bible says it this way here. It says, it says Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Help me now. Who, who, alone, who alone can save us? God! He says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. The Bible says confess, means to agree with this statement that there is no other God. Amen. The Bible says, surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. I mean, anybody who wants to get mad because, well, he's just the carpenter's son. No, he's not. He's God. Amen? God did everything he could to give them the evidence that they needed because only God could have walked on water. Only God could have produced that much bread from a little boy's lunch. Amen. And all they got to do is go to the Old Testament, see when God did it, and Jesus just duplicated it. Amen. If you will, he demonstrated who he was. He asked them a question that had to be answered. Who do, the, who do men say that I am? That's, that's uh, what follows in, in, I believe, the account in Luke. And so everybody involved is going to have to answer. The apostles, the great company, and even you and me. I want you to think about this. What, what question do you think we could answer here today from what we've seen? Well, first off, who is Jesus? By the way, who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Yeah. Could, could we have a lot of answers to that? Can I say this? Jesus is the one who saved me. Amen? I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The apostles had to give a right answer and they did they said lord to whom shall we go for thou hast the words of life amen 
Will you also go away? To whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of life. We're following you. Amen. But folks, the great company went away. Most of the disciples went away. Amen. And stopped following Jesus Christ. Amen. What can God do in your life? Is that a question we can ask from this text? Well, play, take this the right way. He can do anything he wills. Can he do a miracle in your life? Or can he let you walk through death's door? He can do both. And by the way, God is good either way. It's good for us to remember that. Amen. So who is Jesus? What can he do if he wills? And then the last question is the most important question. Am I in a right relationship with him? I want you to think about this. He could have counted to 12, and he could have done this any number of ways, but he could have said, 11 of you are going to heaven. One of you is the devil. By the way, how many of y'all would like to be called the devil? Okay? And so the, you're going to betray me. Why? Because you don't believe in me. And you wanted the bread. You didn't want the bread from heaven. And that was Judas Iscariot, by the way. Because he took the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. We didn't get to that this morning. Amen. And he took 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, instead of trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say, whom say ye that I am? And you remember, the Bible tells us that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in other accounts, the Bible says, They said, They said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know who didn't say it? It was Judas Iscariot. Amen? I, I will tell you this. God gives us all the evidence of this life, his, his goodness and His Word, and the moving of His Holy Spirit, even this message, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ today. And He basically wants you to answer one question question. Who am I? Well, what should I do with this knowledge then? Believe on him whom he hath sent. I believe that entire chapter was just to get them to answer that one question. Who are you? Who am I? And I think we can know who he is today. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is and you want to have somebody open the word of God and show you, why don't you come? Maybe you got a lost loved one you want to witness to this week. Ask them for the wisdom to, to lead them to a saving knowledge. Whatever the Lord would have you to do, let's all stand.